quietened down a bit. We love having our children and our young people in with us. But we recognize that as they go to their activities, we get a moment where we can focus without distraction on our Father God. Or maybe we can't. Maybe there's too much going on in our minds right now. We've left home situations that have been difficult this morning or the past week. We know of loved ones who are ill, who are in hospital, whom our hearts cry out for. Perhaps we come with the pressures of work and it was, it was a flip of a coin decision. Should I be here this morning or should I just stay and work? Perhaps as it is Mother's Day, it's a moment of reflection on, on ones who have gone on before us. Let's come in the space of 20 minutes and let's before our Father God be open before him to receive from him and to know his healing and his leading as we try, as we try our hardest to know him better. Let's pray. Father, our hearts can be here this morning and caught up in, in the joys of singing and the music, but our hearts can also be heavy with what is going on in life. Thank you that in your word you give us a picture of all of life, and, and all of life is made up of our joys and our sorrows. Father, there are moments that are not easy. And so for those who are gathered here, part of our worshipping family, who this morning are finding it a little bit tough. We pray that you will be especially near them. That in their tears, in their heaviness of heart, they will know freedom in Jesus Christ to give everything to him. Father, help us all in our worship. Help us all in our learning and in our discipleship as we journey with Jesus along this way that he has called us. And it's in his name we pray and give all these things to Amen. Folks, if you have been with us and following us over the past number of weeks, you'll know that we've been quite steadily making our way systematically through each verse and chapter in John's Gospel. Today we're, we're changing it a little bit uh, in how we're doing it. We started reading at verse 20 in John 12. Christoph finished off last week around verse uh, 11 or 12. And we're, we're missing a little section that we know as Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So Jesus had just been uh, at the home of Mary and Martha. He had been there in their fellowship and in their company. He then had traveled into the city of Jerusalem and was welcomed as a king, a king riding on a donkey with palm leaves waved and put down on the ground and coats laid in his way. This, this moment that Jewish society at this particular moment had been waiting for, the revolutionary to come in, come in and take the city from the Romans. So that's what's happened in verses 12 through to 19 of John chapter 12. Jesus has come into the city. It's what we know as Palm Sunday, and he now is there, being part of that crowd that have gathered for the Passover. 
The Passover is that annual feast where pilgrimage is made to Jerusalem, where worship is centered in Jerusalem, where every good Jew will make their way to Jerusalem to worship. The population explodes in Jerusalem. So everyone is gathered. Everyone is ready to celebrate God's deliverance. It's a historical deliverance they're celebrating. They're celebrating Exodus out of Egypt, where they were able to cast behind them that yoke of slavery that the Egyptians had. And now they're thousands of years later celebrating this. Little do they know they are on the eve of something greater than the Exodus in Egypt. Little do they know that within a week, the history of the world will change because of Jesus Christ. No, he wouldn't take a city. He wouldn't win a nation back for its own enjoyment and its own self-determination. This great act that would change all of history is seen in a single death and a miraculous resurrection. This is the journey that we are now on as we make our way through the next part of John's Gospel. Something to watch out for this morning. John 12 ends Jesus' public ministry. No longer will he speak to the crowds. What John records for us in his Gospel is the personal accounts or the small group accounts of Jesus with his friends and small groups who come to him. No longer is he drawing the crowd to him. But it's interesting that as we start chapter 12, the whole, what follows in chapter 12 is centered around these Greeks coming to find and see Jesus. So right there at the start of chapter 12, where we started in verse 20, we are told that there were some Greeks who came to the Passover. This wouldn't be completely a surprise. The Greeks were known for their philosophical thinking. These were the group of people who would wanted to think, wanted to work it out, and wanted to test what was, what was new. So Greeks would come to find out, well, what is it about this Jesus? We've heard about his miracles. We've heard that he's unlike anyone else in all of history. So let's go and find out on what better place for a good Jew to be, a leader of the Jewish people, while well, he's going to be at Passover. So let's go and meet him. So they go and they search and they find Jesus' disciples and they get acquainted with them and they eventually come to Jesus. What Jesus now does in these short verses is he concludes his whole teaching. What we're going to get in these verses is the conclusion that Jesus presents to us of why he is here. So through the gospel, through our journey in John, we have seen how Jesus has said that his time has not yet come. Do you remember that? Whenever he was pushed by his brothers to go to the other feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, he said, no, my time has not yet come. Don't force me. There is a timing here. And for the first time, Jesus says, it's now. And who sparks that? These group of Greeks who come to find out what Jesus is all about. He says that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is it. Everything that Jesus has taught is now about to be fulfilled. Fulfilled. 
from a very early age, my father was never going to let me get past what I needed to know about potato farming. We're not potato farmers. Whatever we grew by way of potato was to see us from the harvest right through to March. But from a very early age, I, I was taught how to use a fork in the ground, not the one that we use on our table plates, but one of those gardening forks, to go down deep onto the soil and root up the potato stalk. And attached to that potato stalk would be 10 or 12 other potatoes, depending on what variety was planted. My father taught me from a very early age that I was to go through that soil. The reason to go deep was to loosen up the soil so that I could go through it to look for any potatoes that, was, that were left behind. In our garden, we had a rotation system. One year, plot A would be for potatoes, plot B would be for everything else. And then you'd rotate them. It was good for the soil. And my father knew if I hadn't done my job right, of course, it wasn't anybody else's job, it was only mine hadn't been done right, where the potatoes started to sprout amongst the peas or the carrots. And we knew that a potato had been left behind. Jesus gives us the example of a, an ear of corn. The closest that I can understand is the same with a potato. If you leave a potato in the ground, over the winter months it will die. It is no longer attached to a, a root to feed it. It will die. It will shrivel up. But it will be preserved in the winter cold so that whenever the spring temperatures start to rise, that potato will germinate and sprout. And from it, you will get another crop of potatoes. It turns out that that's what happens in a lot of horticulture. Something needs to die for others to grow. Jesus uses this example in the passage that we read. He said, you need to recognize that something, and in his case, someone, needs to die so that life can happen. This is it. This is what Jesus is all about. He has come to die so that life can sprout and grow and continue to bring life How do we view Jesus in that way? Do we view our Savior as our life? He is the one who has come to give it. The question is, do we receive it? Jesus says that the old life needs to be lost and the new life needs to grow. We all have a history. Each and every one of us, we're part of this great story of humanity. But if we are found in Jesus Christ, then our story goes beyond that because we are part of God's story of his salvation work in the world. Jesus says your old way of life, that way that used to satisfy you, needs to go. And this new way of life in Jesus Christ must be followed. We need to get rid of the old ways, the old ways of lying, 
of greed, of superiority and pride, of gossip, of lust, of relegating God to what we are content to have him be, rather than giving him his rightful place as the God who shows us who he is. Jesus says, life can only happen when something truly dies. Jesus then goes back to an image that we have found time and time again in John's gospel. It's the contrast between light and darkness. He tells people that they have the light with them now. So while there is light, follow the light. For Jesus, it's as simple as that. He says those who walk in darkness don't know where they're going. They scurry around trying to find their way, but they have no idea because they have no perspective of what's around them. It is the light that shows them where they are going. So whenever Jesus is saying, put the old way to death and live this new way of life, he says, stop walking in the darkness. Stop struggling to find your way and follow the light. Stop trying to make it work for you in the darkness and instead come into the light where there is perspective and there is life. In the middle of this, Jesus, uh, there's an affirmation comes for what uh, is happening in Jesus' life, his, his internal thinking and his eternal, uh, internal soul as he thinks about what is about to happen. Jesus has the emotion that his heart is troubled. Sometimes we, we overlook this. He says in verse 27, Now my heart is troubled. But he says after that, What shall I say? Shall I say to the Father, Save me from this hour? Jesus says, No, for this very hour I have been. Jesus says, I know what's coming, but I know that it must happen so that life can be known in all its fullness. And the voice affirms it because Jesus says, Father, in all of this, even though it may be the hardest thing that I have ever had to do in dying to death, your name be glorified. And the voice comes from heaven and says, it has been and it will be glorified, affirming in Jesus Christ that the road that he is on to Calvary is the road that is right and has come for this moment in history where God's salvation would break into the world. But Jesus tells us that the voice is not for the benefit of him. He says it is the benefit of those who are listening, so that they can know that it is about God's time, that it is God's time to break into this world to show it its true way of salvation. None of this political nonsense that it's going to be breaking the, the shackles of the Romans. Not about a political ideal of becoming a, a unified state of Israel, of the Jews. Jesus says, no, now is the moment where I will usher in salvation. This is the historical moment where we see our salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus finishes his public teaching by a very direct statement to the people who are with him, and he says, put your trust in the light. Why? 
so that you can become the sons of light. Whenever we read the Bible about Jesus, whenever we are introduced to Jesus, we get to see that he has his very best for us. And this is it. Follow the light so that we can be called sons and daughters of light. That we can be called his. And the reason why Jesus says it is because that is what the Father wants as well. The Father who sent Jesus to be the light says, come, come and be the sons and daughters of light so that you can be my family, you can be my children. As Jesus teaches this, so each of us must apply it. If this is coming from Jesus Christ, then we take it seriously. The question that we must ask ourselves each individually is have we given over every aspect of our lives to Jesus? Or are we keeping just a little bit for ourselves? Are we keeping to our own opinions rather than allowing the Word of God to shape our thinking? Are we holding on to pride in our ability to succeed and work or pride in our families for their achievements rather than acknowledging our weaknesses and God's amazing power that is at work in our lives? Are we still wanting to be formed and influenced by this world because we like it rather than allowing ourselves to be formed by Jesus Christ? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 16-19, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. And this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Who, what are you following? Is Jesus 100% in your life? Or are there other things, just an ounce, that we want to keep because it makes us feel better about ourselves? What of the old are we holding on to and not allowing the new to fill us? We're going to leave that passage behind. and We're going to move into the second part of that uh, or the last part of that chapter, verses 37 to 50. We now get a comment and some thoughts from John. And he begins by recognizing, I hear some pages there, so it's page 1080 in John 12. John starts off by recognizing the words of Isaiah are now being fulfilled. He quotes twice from Isaiah there. And he now recognizes that this is the true fulfillment of God's salvation plan. 
Look at verse 42. It says, Yet at the same time many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise from men more than praise from God. John is beginning to recognize something here. John is recognizing the human condition. If we trace history from the first human being to now, and we can guess into the future, as we look at key people and key leaders, whenever we get deep into their histories, we see that their motivation at times has been to get the the world to like them. They want to please those around them. They want to please humankind rather than sticking with their convictions. And here John gives, uh, tells us what's really going on. He says that even the religious ruling class thought, I like the idea of Jesus. I like this guy. But I'm afraid of this other guy, my boss. I'm afraid of these religious guys that I'm part of. I'm afraid that they're going to disown me and, and throw me out of the synagogue, everything that's familiar to my worship. So I'll just stay where I am and I'll remain happy and content in that. John articulates the condition as loving the praise from men more than praise from God. I will be very honest with you and say, in standing up here, I don't want anyone ever to think anything bad of me. I don't want anyone here to to not like me. I want to be liked because that's the human condition. Whenever I look into my own life, it turns out that I want your praise more than the praise of God. That's a wake-up call for me. That's a huge wake-up call. Because it determines in my mind that I need to be convinced of the overarching salvation, salvation power that God has at work in my life. And the realization is, I'm not here to please you or to make you happy. Nor are you here to please me or make me happy. It turns out that our primary allegiance must be to God alone. Because it is in God alone where we find our salvation and who calls us his children. I cannot save you. You cannot save me. This world can save none of us. So why are we giving our priority and our allegiance to this world? I do want to care for you. I want to be pastoral. I want to seek God first in his word and listen to him to put out my own agendas and preach his truth. And I hope that likewise that is what you desire to do as you relate with your brothers and sisters in this building.
I know the human condition too well. Do you? Are you familiar with that feeling that I don't want to do this because I'm afraid of what people will think? I'm afraid of what people will say. I'm afraid they're actually going to think I'm a freak. So they're going to push me out. They're not going to include me in their nice little world. We want Jesus to love us and we want him to save us from our sins. But what we don't want is to be inconvenienced by him. It's as if the gospel of Jesus only penetrates us so far and we don't allow it to go any further. Can I give you and let you know one of my guilty pleasures? I'm currently watching Dallas. I was going to be brave enough and say, let's have a show of hands here. I'm not going to go into anything ethical, moral about Dallas, but I'm going to, as best Dallas can teach us about oil drilling. There's a storyline currently running where there's this vast reservoir of oil waiting to be tapped on a disused piece of land. But they can't get to it because there's a salt dome. A salt dome is tough, hard rock that takes long hours, it takes energy, it takes time and money for uh, an oil driller to get through it to get to the richness of the oil. They'll eventually pound that thing until they can get through and get to the oil. Do we have salt domes, as it were, that we don't allow the gospel to penetrate any further than we want it to? You see, if we hold on to some of the old way of life that Jesus has been talking about, it's as if we have a salt dome that we get to set the gauge off. We get to say we're only allowing Jesus this much and the rest, well, that's mine. And that's for a number of reasons. One, we love the world too much and two, it's too much effort, it's too much work to break through this salt dome. But when we do... When we work hard, it takes time, effort, and energy, allowing the gospel to penetrate us. When it breaks through that salt dome, we will know the full riches that God has for us. Do you recognize your salt dome? Do you recognize this, this thing that's, that's stopping Jesus penetrating everything of your life? Or maybe you're content for your salt dome to remain there. Maybe you're happy to be influenced by the world, to allow the world to take you on its journey rather than allowing Jesus to take you on his. To allow the gospel to completely penetrate our lives will revolutionize us. It will revolutionize our view of life. Allowing Jesus to have every aspect of us shapes our worship, both corporate and private, it shapes our homes and our family life. It shapes our sharing of the gospel and personal evangelism. It shapes our work life, our social life. And it gives us the ability to call sin for what it is. This is what a full penetration of the gospel does. And above all that, it allows us to know the full blessings of our salvation.
Allowing Jesus into every part of our lives means that we will truly walk in the light that he wants to give us. No longer are we trying to find our way in the dark. Paul writes in Ephesians, with the Lord's authority I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on the new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Is it true of your journey with Jesus? Wherever you are on that journey, is that true of you, that you want and are daily putting off the old things so that you can enjoy the new? Are you content for the world to to lead you on its journey? Have you fully thrown off the old sinful nature and your former way of life? You see, let me finish by giving you one encouragement that we get from this passage in John. In John 12, Jesus says that he didn't come to judge. Jesus didn't come to judge. Rather, he came to give life. Judgment is reserved for God alone. But Jesus and the message he brings is not about judging us. But it's about saying, here's how you can have the fullness of life. He has come to give it. Will you receive it? The fullness of life. Not just life, but the fullness of life. Folks, as I thought about this and decided the questions that I needed to be asked, so I asked you the question, will you throw off the relentlessness and the conformity of this world and live fully for Christ as his disciple. Because it's life to the full. It may not be an easy life. There will be many potholes along the way. But it's life to the full. It is Jesus who takes on our cares and our concerns. It is Jesus who leads us. It is Jesus who teaches us how we should interact with this world because of the love that is at work within us from him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this journey in John's gospel. Thank you for what we are learning and and what you're drawing us to. So help us as we think about by what it means to throw off everything that is old and to allow ourselves to be filled with the new. Thank you that you want to give us your best. Open our blind eyes so that we will be convinced and be able to step forward in faith, knowing that it truly is the best. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.